Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our pool campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Good morning, Sunny Hill. How are we doing? Are we hot? I'm very hot. I can appreciate the fact why these guys all look so sweaty. No, I'm joking. Phil's just getting cussed out left, right and centre today. Um, my name is Sophie. I'm one of the next-gen leaders here at Sunny Hill. Me and my husband, Jake, count it an absolute privilege to lead the next-gen. Some of them sat at the front. They're absolutely awesome. If you have a chance this morning, grab a conversation with them because I can guarantee they will stir your faith and encourage your faith as they do to me and Jake every single time we're with them. They're nodding their heads, I believe it. It's true. So good morning. Um, We have been in movie month, am I right? Yeah, have we enjoyed it? Yeah, we definitely need more popcorn though, right? There's been a distinct lack of popcorn for movies. Am I right? Who, Who here is a salt? I am a salt every way, yeah? The saved people are here. So, good morning. Uh, I thought, we've, we've had quite intense movies, right? So we started off with Lord of the Rings. Slightly overrated film, but Lord of the Rings. Then we went to Les Mis. And then last week, Jake spoke about Catch Me If You Can. And I think they're great movies, but I thought it was a little bit intense. So I thought, let's like chill out. Let's end the movie month on a nice film. So I have chosen The Lion King. Any Lion King fans this morning? Yes. That actually quite scares me because I might ruin it for you right now. But um, if you haven't seen The Lion King, you've had some time. The original was out when I was just two years old. So you've had some time to watch it. So I'm I'm not going to apologise for spoilers because there will be spoilers. And there is the new movie out in cinemas now, which I actually really rate, but mostly because Queen Beyonce is in it, right? She's awesome. So if you haven't, for the 1% population of the world that hasn't seen The Lion King, I will, que- I will quickly explain it to you. There is lions, would you believe it? Shocker. You're allowed to laugh, it's okay, you can laugh at me. There are lions in The Lion King and there is one which, and can I just say the 1% is sat at the back because Richard called him Mustafa. And I'm not joking, like Mufasa is the most famous character out of a Disney film. Am I right? Like Mufasa, we don't call him Mustafa. It's Mufasa. So Mufasa is the king of the king of Pride Rock, which I guess is like the lion's own little like nation. We'll call it a nation. I don't really know what it is. The lion nation of Pride Rock. And he is the king. And him and his wife... I guess they get married in Lion World, I don't know. Him and his wife, they have a baby, and that baby is born, and his name is Simba. And really, the Lion King follows the story of Simba. And just before we get to the first clip, I'll kind of explain what happens. So Mufasa, who's voiced by James Earl Jones, of which I do a fantastic impression, which you'll find out later. So Mufasa is talking with his son Simba, and he says... Wait for it. It's actually rubbish. I don't know why I'm going to... Anyway, he says, everything the light touches is yours. (laughs) See, that's how bad it is. He says, everything the light touches is yours, apart from that dark place. Like, well, you will become king, Simba, and everything the light touches is yours, apart from that dark place. And I know what you're thinking, because you can hear my accent. It is not Essex. The dark place is not Essex. That is the lightest place of all. So... (laughs) 
thank you. So, everything the light touches is yours. And so Simba, in his naivety, and I love him for it, is like, I'm quite interested in the dark place, actually. I kind of want to know what goes on there. And so he goes and sees his trusty, not so trusty, evil Uncle Scar. You can boo at this point. Evil Uncle Scar. Yeah, ooh, felt that. Evil Uncle Scar. And Scar does a bit of reverse psychology, which I'm quite impressed for a lion. He does some reverse psychology and is like, only the bravest people go to the elephant graveyard, which is the dark place. And so Simba's like, I'm brave. And so he goes along and he takes his best friend Nala and this is what happens. And that is Simba and Nala getting themselves into quite a dangerous situation. But I quite like Simba and Nala's naivety. Like, I can appreciate that. Has anybody here ever grown up with older siblings? Right? Yeah? Yeah? The youngest ones, the favourites, am I right? Yeah? No? Uh, never is. But I grew up with older siblings, and I always tried my best to compete with them. In my naivety, not too dissimilar from Simba and Nala, I was completely naive in the fact that I thought I could win at everything. And so I tried to win at everything. But I was known as the family, like, wind-up merchant, because I would just wind them up and then watch them explode and try to run away. But I would always get done over. Like, I would get punched, kicked, sat on. I don't know if anybody similar to me, my brother got, was really into wrestling, so he practiced like choke slam on me like 20 times a day. It was rough, it was really rough. One time when I was feeling particularly naive, I now see, is that me and my brother were hanging out in the morning, my mum's still asleep, and my brother's like, Sophie, wouldn't it be a great idea to cut your hair? 
And I'm like, of course, yes, I want a new style. And so we literally share the scissors between us and, and we're busy cutting my hair. I am not joking, I looked worse than Donald Trump. And, my, and then we went into my mum and were like, can you notice anything different? And she like went naught to 100. She was out of that bed and I did get in some trouble. My brother didn't get in as much trouble, which I solely blame him now for that. I had to go around with a bowl cut for about a year. It was awful. I looked horrific. Naivety, right? You don't understand how big the game is until you lose at it. And that's really what happens here in Simba and Nala's story. And what I love about it is that they're not alone. Mufasa comes and he saves the day. Like Simba tries with his little roar, but then Mufasa comes in and like swipes them all and takes them all out. And I love it. And I just love it because I look at it now and I'm like, wow, that is how God is for me. In my complete naivety, in our complete disobedience, in our shortcomings, in our failures, God comes like Mufasa and hero saves us, right? And it got me to thinking because I've not always pictured God like that. Actually, I struggled for a long time to think that God would actually ever save me like a father saves a child. And just a little bit of my story, I grew up in a single parent household. My mum was amazing. She was an absolute angel. And as you can see, I turned out well. I'm joking. <laughs> um, she done really well. My brother's awesome. And um, my dad actually consistently rejected us as we were growing up. You know, we would write letters. We would wait for that Sunday, every Sunday we would wait and he just wouldn't turn up some days, some days he'd be hours late. And so I grew up with this constant, this constant feeling of rejection from my earthly dad. And when I became a Christian as a teenager, I started to put those earthly standards of what I knew of my dad on to God. And I started to think, well, actually God will probably reject me one day. You know, I've done this, I've done that. I've said this, this time, God, are you going to reject me? This time, God, are you going to fall short? Because that's kind of all I've known. Is this what you're going to do to me, God? And as some of us will know that that's actually never what he does. In 1 John 3, 1, a verse in the Bible, it says, See what love, what extravagant, perfect, unique, everlasting, forgiving love the Father has shown us that we might be called children of his. And I don't know about you, but that shocks me a little bit, that the God of the universe, the one who created the stars, who created lions, who created you and created me, that he would love us, that he would have time to love us, that he would have energy to love us. But it's true because the Bible says it and the Bible's true. And it says, see what love the Father has given us, that we are called children. We need to stop placing earthly limits on a heavenly Father. You know, when we're lost, he is our way. When we're weak, he is our strength. And when we go to the fight and we lose bad, he comes and he saves us. But I think we, we are then faced with a decision we have to decide then, will we let those experiences, will we let those times with our dad, albeit good or bad experiences of our dad on earth, will we let that define us? 
Will we let it push us down and crush us? Because I think Simba had a choice after this moment with the hyenas. He could have cowered back. I wouldn't have blamed him. I would be terrified. He could have cowered back and just lived in fear and absolute isolation. He could have done that after that moment, but he didn't. And I think we have a choice now whether we cower down or we step up and we step up because we are his child. You know, I've been looking at this study. It's a fascinating study. I encourage you to look at it. You might not agree with all of it, but I found it really helpful. And it's called the ACE study. If you're making notes, that's just helpful because there's long words coming. So basically, it's the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. So it's all about how when children have bad experiences as they're young. So it's talking about abuse and neglect and when parents separate or one goes to jail or one has an alcohol issue or all of those things. And 67% of the UK population, so that's where we are today, 67% have at least one of those. 67% of children have at least one. One One-eighth of children in the UK have four or more. Now, the study says, if you have four or more, you are 4.5 times more likely to develop depression. One in five of those children attempt to commit suicide. They're more likely to have bad diets, heavy drinking, smoking, and heart disease, lung, like honestly, there's so many horrible factors that come into play. When we're talking about the next generation, it's not just a nice thing that we do. They need our protection. They need our help. And we can either decide as older youth or adults to be crushed by what's gone before and then see them be crushed by the same things or we step up and watch them step up with us because that's the only way we're going to change this is if we step up. The hyenas thought they'd won in that situation but Mufasa showed up and there's an enemy of God called the devil and he thinks he's won but he hasn't because there's an amazing guy, I don't know if you've heard about him, called Jesus, and he showed up. He destroyed death. He went to the cross and took on all of our sin and shame, all of our past hurts, all of our times where we've been lied about and rejected and pained on, and he took it for us. And in that, Hebrews 2.14 says, he has destroyed death and the devil. He has destroyed the enemy. He's destroyed it. He's not just pushed it aside. He's not just lovingly like shoved it away. No, he has destroyed it. That's power, right? Yeah? We need to step up. And so we go back to our story of Simba and Nala and not everything works out for them. I won't show you the sad parts, but basically... Simba, with his evil Uncle Scar, gets naively taken into another situation, which I learned in the first service is called a ravine. He was taken into a ravine. It sounds like a posh word. What can I say? He's into a ravine. And the whole plan is that Scar wants to kill Simba because Simba's in line 
to take the throne. Scar wants it, that kind of thing. Bit like Macbeth, but not. And um, so he's like organised this stampede to come and take out Simba. But the thing is, when the, when the stampede comes, somebody goes and gets, I think it's Scar actually, goes and gets Mufasa. And so Mufasa, dad, comes back and he saves Simba again. And then, just as Mufasa's about to save himself, Scar, like, claws him, and then he falls down to his tragic death. It's a really sad part of the movie. And then Simba's like, oh, no, he's dead, and it's all my fault. And Scar's like, yes, it is your fault. And then Simba runs away, basically. And it's fascinating, really, because I don't think it's too dissimilar to what we do. You see, Simba encounters a horrific situation, and he goes on the run. And just before we get to our next clip, I'll explain what's happened. So he goes, and you maybe have heard the song Hakuna Matata, anybody? So he meets a random warthog and meerkat in the desert, right? Yeah? Sings some songs, is all jolly and joyful, and is kind of ignoring the fact that he was called to be king in Pride Rock. And then his best friend, Nala, things are going awful from where in Pride Rock. So his best friend, Nala, comes and gives him a few home truths. Here's the clip. Isn't this a great place? It is beautiful. But I don't understand something. You've been alive all this time. Why didn't you come back to Pride Rock? Well, I just needed to get out on my own. Live my own life. And I did. And it's great. We've really needed you at home. No one needs me. Yes, we do. You're the king. No, we've been through this. I'm not the king. Scar is. Simba, he let the hyenas take over the Pride Lands. What? Everything's destroyed. There's no food, no water. Simba, if you don't do something soon, everyone will starve. I can't go back. Why? You wouldn't understand. What wouldn't I understand? No, no, no. It doesn't matter. Hakuna Matata. What? Hakuna Matata. It's something I learned out here. Look, sometimes bad things happen. Simba. And there's nothing you can do about it. So why worry? Because it's your responsibility. Well, what about you? You left? I left to find help. And I found you. Don't you understand? You're our only hope. Sorry. What's happened to you? You're not the Simba I remember. You're right. I'm not. Now are you satisfied? No. Just disappointed. You know, you're starting to sound like my father. Good. At least one of us does. Listen, you think you can just show up and tell me how to live my life? You don't even know what I've been through. I would if you just tell me. Forget it. Fine. Sassy Simba much, right? Am I right? And so now Simba is faced with a choice. Either step into his destiny or carry on his way of Hakuna Matata, YOLO, if you might. Uh, he, d he has a choice now. And I think it's a classic case of being in your comfort zone. Anybody else been there before? I have, yep. It's a classic case of comfort zoning. You see, there's no worries when you're in your comfort zone. See, people in their comfort zone, they have every excuse as to why not to step up. It's too hard, I'm too busy, I've got other things going on, I'm, I'm not qualified, I'm not good enough. All of these reasons of why it's okay to stay comfortable. You see, it's really easy to stay comfortable. 
It's really easy to stay where you are. And what I love is that the Bible has loads of stories about where people step out of their comfort zone. And there's this one story, and I absolutely love it. It's about a woman, and she has been bleeding for 12 years. And the Bible says she didn't get better. She didn't even stay the same. She grew worse, and she tried to fix it with doctors and stuff, but nothing could solve it. 12 years she'd been bleeding for. And the thing is, in those times, if you had that kind of illness, when you were out in public, you had to announce yourself as unclean. So she would have literally had to walk through crowds going, unclean, unclean, unclean. She would have had to shout that as she went out. And the Bible says that she heard that Jesus was coming to town. And she said, if, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. She stepped up. And so she's out in the crowds calling out unclean, unclean. And she reaches out and she touches Jesus's garments. And instantly and fully, she's completely healed. And Jesus, who's on the way to go and help somebody else, by the way, he's not there to do miracles in that place. He's on the way to somewhere else. He feels the power leave him. And so he turns around and he's like, who touched me? I mean, He's God, so I kind of think he already knew the answer. But anyway, she came in fear and trembling. She told him her story. And he calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And what I love about that story is that Jesus had every excuse to keep on going. He was needed elsewhere. But he'd done two things. He turned around And then he called her daughter. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what God does for us every single time? He calls you daughter and son and child. And I love it because Simba, he had to step up to go into his destiny. The woman stepped up in such a powerful way and it changed her complete destiny after that. Her life was completely changed. It's really easy to stay comfortable. I wouldn't have blamed the woman for sitting outside or inside, not, being, having, not having to shout out she was unclean. Who would have blamed her? Who would have blamed her for staying exactly where she was? But she understood something, is that when you step up, Jesus arrives. And so Simba's like, well, what if... Simba's like, no, no one needs me. I don't need to go home. Nobody needs me. And we know that the opposite was true. And I think in ourselves, what if what God is calling us to will help somebody, will heal somebody, will give somebody hope? You see, Simba being naive, even when he walked away, naive in the fact he stayed away, Pride Rock was suffering for the fact that he was away. They needed somebody to come and defeat Scar. They were suffering because of his comfort zone. And it's interesting because I think that was Scar's plan all along. If he couldn't kill him, then just get rid of him. Because why not distract and destroy somebody from their purpose? Why not make them feel isolated and afraid and fatherless and powerless? 
And let me tell you, there's an enemy of God and he's called the devil and he's got the exact same plan for your life, each and every one of you and mine. He wants to distract you from your purpose. He wants to make you feel isolated, abandoned, afraid, powerless, on your own and fatherless. That is the plan he has for you. There's no good news about it. But the good news comes in the fact that Jesus calls us child. God calls us child. We are a family, right? At Sunny Hill, we are a family. We have each other. We are not alone. You know, there's an amazing fact about lions. I mean, I don't know if it's that amazing. You can tell me after. But anyway, they, they basically are the most sociable animals. They stay in prides and they can live in groups of up to 40 lions, which I don't know how that works, but it does. And they hunt together, they protect each other, they look after each other. And I think lions have understood something that we as humans still struggle to understand. You are better together. You are far easier to attack when you are alone. You are far easier to attack when you isolate yourself. You are far easier to attack when you stay in your comfort zone. Can I ask you to stand up for a second? I know we all hate it when preachers do this, but can you stand up um, if you're able? Can you stand up? And I'm going to ask you a few questions and then you can respond as you will. So I would like you to sit down if you've never, ever, ever been through a bad experience. Okay. I would like you to sit down if you've never, ever, ever struggled. Okay, I want you to sit down if you've never, ever, ever felt alone. And finally, I want you to sit down if you prefer sticking, if you don't prefer sticking together. If you'd rather be on your own, sit down. Now look around and I want you to look at each other because this is something quite powerful. You are never alone. You can sit back down. We've got each other, right? And if that doesn't encourage you, you know, you are, we are far harder to get at when we are a group as big as this. We protect our young, we protect our vulnerable, and we protect each other. We are far easier to attack when we isolate ourselves and put ourselves on the outside of things. The enemy's got a plan, but God's got one too, family. He calls us child. And you know, I was talking about um, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs earlier, the really negative effects of what childhood can, what you can go through as a child. And what I found amazing is that this study found some ways that you can combat those consequences. So children then turning into drug users, alcohol addicts and things like that. There's, there's ways that you can take away the effects of that. And they highlight a few, but two I want to highlight to you. And this is where I just think we see the picture of the church is one is safe, stable, nurturing relationships. That's church, or that's at least what it's supposed to be, right? Safe, stable, nurturing relationships. And the second one is concrete support for families in need. Concrete support. So a group of people like us, not rejecting the single mum on her own, not rejecting the person who's struggling, but a group of us protecting each other. 
And don't let anybody ever tell you that the church isn't relevant because if that study tells me anything, it tells me it's more relevant today than it ever has been. We can change the effects of abuse and neglect and couples splitting up and people being in prison and people drinking too much alcohol and taking too many drugs. We can change the effects of that, but we have to stand together. Jesus, all the way, we're made to stick together. And so Simba, he makes the right choice, as they always do in Disney movies by the end. And he goes to Pride Rock and he saves the day and he fights Scar and he's, he's king of Pride Rock. And can I just say, I love this picture of family because they just com- they accept him straight away. I mean, if it was me, and forgive me for saying this, I would be like, no way are you coming back. The woman, we've got it. It may not look like we've got it, but we've got it. But actually, the truth was they needed him. They needed the pride back together. And so they humbled themselves and they welcomed him back. And I just love that picture of family because I think that's what we're supposed to be as church. Forgiving, accepting, humble enough to take people even when they're doing it wrong. And so we land here with our final clip of when Simba takes his place as king. It is time. way to end right because stepping up allows us to find our greater purpose and I'm not saying that when you step up into what God has called you to you're going to have a pride rock moment where the, the clouds depart and the sun beams down on you and the circle of life plays out I'm not saying that that happens but what I am saying you find your greater purpose And so Simba, he could have stayed pushed down. He could have stayed on the outside. He could have stayed by himself, but he chose to step up. Despite all that he went through, and as a story, it's actually quite dark because what he went through was really rough. 
Despite all he went through, he decided to step up. And it got me to thinking, because what if what he went through, the pain and the rubbish and the comfort zone, prepared him to be king? I wonder what kind of king he'd been if it had just been handed to him. And so I wonder now if what if we're being positioned right now? What if God is preparing you? What if God is preparing you in the pain to take hold of his promise? What if God's preparing you in the mundane to take hold of his promise? You know, there's this great guy in the Bible, his name's David, and he was called for a great purpose. Um, He was called to be king of Israel, and he was a shepherd boy. And so he was outside a lot, tending to sheep, because I guess that's what you do if you're a shepherd boy. So he was outside a lot. And what I love is that there's this one time he has this holy meeting. His Samuel, this guy who's really cool, he comes to his house and he looks at all his brothers and they kind of look like they could be king, but God's like, nah. And so they call out the shepherd boy, the little shepherd boy that no one would assume will be king. And you see, my Bible tells me in 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God had been preparing him. So they bring him in and then Samuel's like, you are king, I guess. You are the chosen one. And David, which I just love, and it's not an arrogant reaction. He's like, yeah, cool. And then goes out and returns to tending his sheep. I think he just figured it as like, that was a really cool lunch break. I was called as king of Israel. That was really cool. But God is preparing me as a shepherd boy. God is preparing me to fight lions and bears as a shepherd boy. So that in a few years when I'm actually positioned in the place of promise, I look up and I see Goliath, a giant, the one who everybody else is afraid of, the one that is terrifying the nation. He decided to step up, take his little stones and fire at him because God had been preparing him and he didn't waste it. He could have stayed there. He could have stayed there. Who would have blamed him? I wouldn't have liked to look at Goliath. I wouldn't have liked to try and fight him. I wouldn't have liked to go through what he went through. He could have stayed there and nothing would have changed. Goliath probably would have ruled all, I don't know. But he stepped up and he changed a nation. He stepped up into the position of promise, what God had called him to, kingship. Simba stepped up into the position that his dad had called him to, kingship. And I think when we decide to step up, we realise our greater purpose. You know, I think it's really easy when we are feeling like things are going to be tough when we think that things aren't going to be as easy as we want them to be, I think it's really easy to just sit down. I think it's really easy to just go, do you know what, God? I can see everything here. I'm safe here. No one can upset me. No one can hurt me. No one can affect me from down here. I'm comfortable. I'm great here, God. And the difference is, is that the woman who was bleeding... David, Simba, and you and I today, we have to make the decision to step up. It's so much easier to stay sat down. 
It's so much easier to remain comfortable. And the reality is the only reason, the only reason we can ever step up is because Jesus decided to. 2,000 years ago, he was in a garden and I don't know if they, do they have chairs back then? Let's say they did. He could have been sat in the, sitting in the garden and he was praying and he had a decision, right? The Bible says that he was praying and he had a decision to make because he knew his lot. He knew that when he went to the cross, he was going to be beaten and bruised and mocked and a crown of thorns was going to crush into his head and he was going to take on the sins of the world, which I can only imagine is a little bit painful. He had a decision. He could have stayed sat down and who would have blamed him? I wouldn't have. He could have stayed sat down, but he made the ultimate step up and he stood up and he took our sin and our shame. And then three days later, he stepped up again. (laughs) He rose again and he showed the enemy. Death is destroyed. Suffering is destroyed. You see, if you believe in him, you will get eternal life. There is no death for those who believe in him. He came back to life, he's alive now, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And if you believe in him, he will save your soul. He will give you heaven when you die, and he will give you hope while you live. He will give you hope when you're sat down and you're like, I feel crushed. I feel rejected, I feel burnt out, I feel burdened and I can't do this. He will give you hope. And then when you make the decision to step up, you will find your greater purpose. You see, no matter your childhood, no matter how long you've been in the comfort zone for, God calls us to step up. And when we do, we find our greater purpose. That's awesome, right? And so I'm going to pray for us. And I pray that whatever you've been through, and I'm not saying that what we go through isn't tough and it doesn't change us and it isn't challenging. But what I am saying is that we have a decision now. We have a decision. In this moment, we have a decision. Will we take hold of what God has positioned us for? Purpose. Great purpose. And so God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for stories in the Bible like David and the woman who was bleeding who decided to step up into their purpose. I thank you that you change destinies, that you change households, that you change families, that you change the experiences that children have to go through through the power of your church and your Holy Spirit. And so God, right now, I pray that as we step up, you will change us. You will change us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that we will know our greater purpose. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.